0: I want to hear what you have to say to us, Lord, and take it to heart. We want to hide it in our hearts, act it out, walk it out. Be reminded of it continually, Lord, that we are yours and that we are called into obedience by you. So we thank you for this opportunity once again to hear your word in Jesus' name, amen, and praise God, amen. Uh, so we're going to talk about the fact that God wants to do you good in the end, amen. He will do you good in the end. So many times we are in situations that we don't fully understand, uh, we don't And we're we're so anxious, I think, for the things that God has for us, Uh, we can upset ourselves and disturb our own peace wondering when. Or wondering what? Or wondering why? Or, uh, when is this prayer going to be answered? And when am I going to get to the promised land? <laughs> you know, that's, we're promised land people. And uh, God has promised us many things. But one of the things that we have to understand is that there is a process to life in God. And the process is just as important as the end result. God does promise to do us good in the end, but the process is important. I think the process can be enjoyable. Uh, The process can be a blessing to us as well if we will examine the fact that God is up to something and that something he wants is to do us good. He is a good God. We have to keep that in mind every day. He is also holy and without blame. Which means that he has certain rules that he lives by, just like we have rules that we live by. We got that from God. We got the fact that we live by rules. We got that idea from God. Uh, you can't just live however you want to live and have a good result. If you doubt that, look at some of the people that you see on, um, not picking on anybody, but liberal uh, uh Uh, programs that come on things like VH1, uh, MTV, all the secular programming, you can see what the result uh, is of life without rules and life without morals and life without a moral code that comes from God. Back in the day, we were warned that this day would come. Uh, I can remember in the mid-80s when I was first saved, people like Dr. James Dobson uh, warning us that there was an assault on the family. And now we've seen the families almost totally disintegrate to where people don't even feel like you need to be married. And they'll blatantly come out and say it. You know, We don't need a piece of paper. Well, if marriage were just a piece of paper, that would be true. But it's much more than a piece of paper. Don't we know that? It's a, it's a covenant by God. It's an institution uh, started by God. And so uh, we you can see how, how the carnal mind is so divorced from truth. Uh, there's not much out here. And so when God gives us rules and he gives us laws to live by, it is so he can do us good in the end. It's for our good. If it's good for God, it's good for us. God obeys his own commandments. If he tells you not to steal and not to covet, it's because he doesn't steal and covet. He doesn't want anything that we have except our love and our devotion given back to him so that he can pour out more unto us. So whenever it's not well with us, it's not God's fault. It really isn't. It's not well with us because we will allow it to be well with us. God instituted his spiritual fruit to sustain us. We're not sustained by blessings. We're sustained by fruit. You got me? We're we're not sustained by did I get an answer to prayer? Is my life everything that I thought it was going to be? We're not sustained by our little fantasies about what a good life is because we have no clue what a good life is. Amen? Your understanding of good life must come from the one who is good. It doesn't come out of your little brain that you thought, well, you know, I just always wanted this all my life, and you know, so what? God's got something better for you. He's got a deal you won't want to refuse. You can cash cash in your hopes and dreams for something that's really, really, really of God and really good for you. So we have to remember these things. God is a good God. He promises to do us good. In the end so that means you got to do a little waiting to get to the end right and it's not the end of the life it, he's not doing us good like heaven talking about that when you die the end but at the end of these different journeys that we take these at end of these prayers that we pray end of these uh, testings and struggles that we go through you know people don't like to hear about that but we are being tested down here amen. And if you accept a test by a man, you can accept a test from God. You think nothing about going to school, buying up, spending all that money on them books, going to class, and you want your grade. And you expect to be tested to get your grade. If they tried to grade you without testing you, question it. What are you basing my grade on? It's the same thing with God. He is a test you as to whether you believe Him, whether you trust Him, whether you love Him, whether you. He don't believe you gonna do nothing till you step out and do it. Now we can have a good confession. Your confession's for you. It's not for God. He already knows the word. When you confess the word, that's to build you up. That's so you can hear the promise in your ears to keep you in faith so that you can stay in faith and not quit on that promise till it comes to pass. Your confession's for you. And so we have to understand that God has ordained to do us good in the end, but you gotta go through a little stuff first. You gotta have a little testing, gotta have a little confidence in God that He'll get you through the test. Nice thing about God, He gives you a cheat sheet when you're being tested. You can go back to the Word anytime you want to and get refreshed. Oh yeah, this is what I. This is what i Oh yeah, this is what my life is about. It ain't about what I thought it was for a hot minute. It's about this. His sole promise is that you will be conformed to the image of Christ. You won't be what you were when you started out. And if you allow him to make the changes, they will be glorious changes. You, you won't even know yourself by the time God's done with you. Amen. And it's a good thing. There's an image that he had of every single person that has ever come into this earth from the beginning. And the devils distorted that. Through lies, through manipulation, through robbing us and cheating us of different things through the the uh um plots and plans and snares that he sets for us, he's got all kinds of stuff out here designed to keep us from conforming to that image because once you do you'll lose you'll lose sight of the little petty things that we think are important, uh-huh. Well, somebody's awake. Y'all better wake up in here because I'm going to go to sleep if you don't. You understand what I'm saying? Come on, mom. Let's get with it. You can stay awake. Been Woke up early this morning to come to church not to go to sleep, but to wake up and hear the word amen so praise god do what you need to do to get yourself wide awake but hear this word and see when i mentioned stealing that's how the devil steals from us gets us it <laughs> puts you to sleep so you don't hear the word <laughs> i know i used to hear people testify that the devil i don't know why i go to sleep when i i uh, first start reading the bible the lord told me he said you can stand up and read the bible he said if you can go to sleep on your feet you know pretty good he said stand up and read your." word you know you could learn how to fight things that aren't good for you you know don't be such a pushover you know you know let resist the devil he'll flee from you amen so God pursues us for our own good amen he's pursuing us to do us good his laws are good and they're not grievous to us anymore why? Because we have the Holy Spirit. You've been born again of the Spirit of Christ, so that these these uh, obeying God now becomes easy for you if you'll obey the Word and take advantage of the uh, opportunities that God gives you uh, to repent, for forgiveness, to get uh, the obstacles out of the way of obedience to Him. You know, sin is a, a hindrance to us. Uh, it keeps you uh, if your if your soul is is racked with guilt and, and regret and and all this kind of stuff. You can't do much for God. So the blood of Jesus comes to rid us and cleanse us, purge our conscience from dead works, so we can serve the living God. It's so easy. It will just understand what God had in mind. You know, you don't repent so that you can get caught in something. Nobody wants to catch you doing wrong. That's not what that's for. If we could get beyond that and look at the good it does for us, what good did repentance do for you when you first got saved? It's supposed to continue to do that for you throughout your life with God. But so many times we're resentful when we're when we're convicted of our wrong, you know? and don't want to confess, and start making excuses. All excuses do is that allows that sin to stay on your soul, and it begins to guide you and hinder you and keep you from getting free to be who God wants you to be, keeps you from conforming to the image of Christ. So Jesus died to remove the penalty of our wrongdoing from us. If you know the penalty removed, you should have no problem confessing, uh, yeah, I did that yeah because you know what it's not going to hurt me one bit to confess that in fact it's going to help me because it helps me to understand right and wrong it helps me understand what God expects of me and how I'm to do this. I'm going to read you a little bitty testimony of this uh, this gentleman. I find some of his stuff so enlightening because it has to do with basic, everyday Christianity. Here's a man that God made wealthy because he did these basic, everyday Christian things. And uh, uh, let me find this. He says here, he, these are this list of, let me see how many things. He got about 20 or 22 things, which is nice. You know, it, it shows he takes his number one. He takes his Christianity seriously. When people study and study how God deals with them, that lets you know they take it seriously. And this is a uh, uh, thing uh, suggestion number six. He says, make a covenant with the Lord that every time you lose your temper or hurt somebody, you will apologize to that person. Now that's a pretty tall order because most of us don't want to be found out. You know, you get it at a well. I only did it because they met, they messed with me, and it does not matter. Doesn't matter. And I looked at this and I said, Lord, this is so helpful because I can think back of times when I wanted to be right instead of wanting to be right with God. See, this will make you right with God. If you refuse to to apologize, you make come off feeling like you're right because somehow we think right and wrong stick on us after you're saved you don't have you're not wrong forever you're wrong for as long as it takes you to confess it and then the blood of Jesus washes you and cleanses you from all wrong. See, you only carry that responsibility as far as the foot of the cross, and then it's laid on Jesus. So the penalty for your wrongdoing is totally laid on him and paid for by him. So you're really not hurting yourself by admitting anything. But I thought this was interesting, and I'm thinking, Lord, this is how this man became a millionaire. is by keeping short accounts with you and making a covenant with you to make sure... That they don't linger in wrong. That's so petty and so small when you think about it. You think about the pain and the torture Jesus went through to give you the ability to confess and apologize and be washed clean. And then we hold on to it because we want to be right. You see what, you see the damage you can do to yourself? And just because you don't want to admit, you don't want to humble yourself and admit your fault and ask forgiveness. And that is so normal to want to do. He says, make a covenant with the Lord that every time you lose your temper, hurt somebody, you will apologize to that person. All you have to do is stop right then and say, well, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. And, you know, whatever it is that you do, you know, we all hang on to a little pride when we apologize. But, you know, do the best you can. He says, whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts. And that's the scripture he stood on. So your heart can condemn you because you know you did wrong. But he said, God's greater. Amen. So you can go to God and get that greater to happen. He said, this is how you retain your testimony with people. You lose your testimony if you go around offending people. God loves a broken and contrite heart. And all great Christians are humble. All great Christians are humble. An empty person is one filled with him or herself. And see, this is why God gives us his law, so that we can be filled with him. Why? So he can do us good in the end. Amen. So when you're filled with God, you'll get done good in the end. He said, this is one of the basic truths if you're going to have any power in your Christian life. So I was speaking in a church in Atlanta, Georgia. Following the evening meeting, the pastor came to me and said, my church was healed today. And he says, uh, and then he explained about the uh, altar service. Oh, wait a minute. Let me, let me see. Ah, I want to give you the second experience because that would be long. That, that had to do with some other people uh uh, forgiving each other in the church because I had an experience like this in, night in the 1940s when I was a young Christian. The post office told us that if we were located in an area less than 50% built up, we would have to pick up our own mail ourselves. At that time, we were receiving approximately 100 packages per day instead of going to the front of the post office, we had to go around to the back dock and ring a bell to get our mail. A man as slow as molasses would enter the bell by coming out to identify you. So see, this is a setup from the devil. (laughs) You you, you can tell a setup. I mean, you know, sometimes you can and sometimes you can't, but I'm telling you, if these are things, a constant irritation is a setup from the devil. You know, you just be on guard for that. You know, in times like this, you have the purpose in your heart to be ever more patient. You know, if you don't get it from jump street you'll fall into the trap so this is the trap and he says then he disappeared for 15 minutes or so before he came out with a mail so he was slow to begin with and then he made you wait extra time before he came out he said one morning I was in a hurry I rang the bell he came out and saw who I was 15 minutes went by and no mail I looked in the window and saw him fiddling around Oh, see, see that's the devil's trouble. He ain't a business looking at that window. Because, see, that just fueled the fire. So he's not looking for anything good. He's looking for trouble. He said all he had had to do was write up. Uh, the insured packages a message began to stir in me and when he did come out I delivered it I didn't swear but the tone of my voice revealed I was angry I threw the packages in my pickup truck and left when I stopped at the street the Lord said Stanley are you a Christian I said I know what you're going to bring up I know that I lost my temper I tell you Lord I'll apologize him to him tomorrow The next morning I went to the dock and rang the bell. Out he came with another man going across the street to the office, oh, to the coffee shop on his break. Because he had company, I didn't apologize. I got my mail and left. As I stopped for the street, the Lord said to me, you didn't do what you promised me. I said, Lord, now see, imagine living this close to God that you have this conversation. Most people don't even have that conversation with God. We don't. We just go do what we do, and we get convicted, and we never address that. I said, Lord, I will make a promise I will make a promise to you that I will keep. The next time I meet this man, regardless of the circumstances, I will apologize to him. Well, this man lost his job at the post office, and I forgot all about the problem. One day, the pastor of the Second Baptist Church, uh, a black church, called me and said, I'm going out of town on a certain date. Will you fill my pulpit? I agreed to do so. I got to this church just as Sunday school was letting out. Guess who the Sunday school superintendent was at this church? The man from the post office. I tried to get to him, but he avoided me. Pretty soon the morning service started. I sat on the platform with a layman in charge. As I was looking out over the congregation, I spied the man in the center aisle. About halfway down, the Lord said, "This is your opportunity to apologize to him." I said, "Lord, not this morning. I'm the guest speaker. This is the first time I've ever been this church. All right. So now they're gonna think how bad this man is. You know. You see how crazy we think." And the Lord said, "You promised me." I was in a spot what shall I do all right Lord I'll do it when I got up to speak the man got up and walked out watching him I said to myself I don't blame him if I were him I wouldn't want to listen to me either but I reasoned nobody in this congregation knows about our problems I will continue with my message about halfway through I had just said if you want power in your life you will have to live a clean life. <laughs> the door opened, and in walked the Sunday school superintendent. He came back to the seat he had left and sat down. The Lord said to me, This is a good time to apologize to the superintendent. I stopped speaking for a minute, then I said, I see your Sunday school superintendent has just come back in. I owe this man an apology. Would you excuse me while I give it? Mr. Uptagrove, will you forgive me for the way I spoke to you in the post office? I am sorry. You could have heard a pin drop as I apologized to their superintendent. I don't think I have ever had my hand shaken by as many people as it was that day after service apology did something for me. I didn't think my automobile touched the pavement between Second Baptist Church and my home. There was a revival going on in my heart. That apology also taught me not to tell off a person. Amen. So these are important things to God. You see how God kept after him and after him. and Not because he wanted to make him feel bad. We've got to get beyond... Us This makes me feel bad I don't feel good when he does that You gotta get beyond you He's trying to come to the And this is when You really start to take on the image of Christ Is when you get in obedient in things that Hurt you Your flesh You know what I'm saying Hurt your pride Hurt whatever it is that is hurting When you get obedient in those things And really humble yourself that's when you start to conform to his image. That's what God's after, folks. He wants to bless us. He wants to do all of these things but he is after so much more. So our scripture is Deuteronomy chapter 8. So if you want to turn there and this is uh, Deuteronomy is the book of Deuteronomy is known as the second law. That's what that means. That uh Leviticus means the law and Deuteronomy is the second law. Why God have to give it to us twice? right some people think it's symbolic of the two covenants the old and new covenant but Deuteronomy comes because God wants us to get set for the fact that we would have to be reminded of his laws on a continual basis so and, and the other thing is that When God gave Moses the law the first time. Remember the tablets of stone that God gave to Moses. They were broken immediately when Moses got to the foot of the mountain. So they had to be written twice. So there really are two copies well, you know, if you pick up the fragments of what was left after the first one, there are two Really, there's always been two copies of God's law handwritten by the finger of God. And so they'll, they're, they're written indelibly in the history of humanity. The fact that they were written in stone signifies that they're foundational. Man, stones always form foundations and so the laws of God are foundational to our lives. So the Ten Commandments basically roughly go over every area of life and tells us how to respond in those things. You notice that that law has to do almost exclusively with relationships. Our relationship to God and our relationship to one another. And so uh, and it it's consistent with the, the first and second commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said there two are equally important. Once you love God with everything, you'll automatically love your neighbor as yourself. And so there will be no difference. And so God wants us to do that because man is made in his image. And he wants us to be held in high esteem with one another amen just because you feel somebody doesn't hold you in high esteem that doesn't mean you can't hold them in high esteem you I mean? you, you don't have to retaliate that we so we get so caught up in that you know tit for tat kind of thing you know don't ex- don't don't, ex- don't confuse my meekness with weakness well i don't see no meekness yet if you make a statement like that Seriously, where people get this stuff from? It's crazy. But anyway, but well God loves us, Amen. He working on us. God had them put away, uh, the temptations, the graven images, all of those things that, uh, the, their neighbors who served other gods were fond of. The Israelites couldn't get involved in any of that stuff. And for a good reason. Amen? Uh, God, God was a jealous God and He didn't want them tempted. He wanted them set apart for Him. He created us. He wants us as his prized possession, not to be interfered with, with the God of this world. Amen. Not to be beset upon uh, by sin and, and the things that drive us away from God so quickly. He want us to, wants us to live that good life that he's ordained that we live. And so there were so many things that God warned Israel to stay away from. So you had to be reminded on a constant basis of uh, the laws of God, lest you forget them. So God wanted to be remembered also when he begins to bless people. And that's what the 8th chapter of Deuteronomy is all about. It is admonishments to remember God when you get into the good land that he's given you to possess. So Deuteronomy eight one, it says here, All the commandments which I command you this day, you'll observe them. That means meditate on them, pay attention to them, be alert to them, and do... That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore unto your fathers. So the blessing of God for obeying his commandments are multiple. He wants you to be able to live, number one. The enemy not overtake you, kill you before you t- your time, prosper. That means to be in health and to be in wealth. Amen. And also he wants you to be able to multiply. That means that you will increase in every area of your life. You'll increase in children. You'll increase in friends. You'll increase in uh, houses and, and lands and all of these things. And possess the land which the Lord swore to you. You won't be a renter all your life. You will be an owner. You will be a possessor. Amen. And so God has all of that in store for us. Uh, I see sometimes Christians who are afraid to own property. And and that fear does not come from God. That's from the enemy. You know, they're scared. Well, what if I lose it? What if you keep it? You know, What what if you get out there and find out you can pay your bills? If you listen to God and and uh, 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 follow His commandments, He'll make it possible for you to pay that note down to the last note and have a uh, free and clear mortgage. Amen. I can remember when God put us on a a, a, a program of um, uh, of prospering and and not spending everything we make. That is a bad habit. It's a horrible habit. And and you know how He did it. My husband got a promotion, and he only got his paycheck once a month, and we couldn't spend. You know, what, you know what happens when you want to spend something right away, and it only comes every 30 days? You get nervous, and you don't spend very fast, and we stayed in that don't spend very fast mode until he passed away, and I'm so thankful for it, because after a period of time, we we had money left over, and my husband said, well, why don't I go ahead and start putting this away he started putting more money into his 401k plan which the the company matched dollar for dollar that's a good deal folks you double your money right off the bat and my husband being a gambler at heart and I'm not afraid to say that because it is true it's not a not anything to to you know disparage him or anything like that he said that's pretty good odds he said I think I'll take that (laughs) amen he said if I can gamble with their money that's that's even that much better so he was able to do that and was able to put away so that we wouldn't be struggling in our retirement that was the vision he had was to be able to live well all the days of your life and not leave anything to, to chance or to not make provision for it if you could make provision for it and so that's what God has for us he doesn't want us to live uh, as paupers he doesn't want us to live he wants us to own things he doesn't want us to be borrowers he wants us to be lenders you can't lend if you're living off credit cards amen you can only lend if you have money free and clear and so god was he that's the vision he has for us so when he stops you from from spending uh frivolous amounts of money That's what he has in mind. And the Holy Spirit convicts you. Now you don't have to have that. Now just stop going there. Anything you do on a repetitive basis has the the potential to either prosper you or bankrupt you. You got me. So if you're if you're like people like they go to like to go to drive-throughs. Everybody likes the drive-through now. I read a a, a um, testimony. It's a little kind of a thin little book I got uh, online. A couple everyday people. I like everyday people stories. You know what I'm saying? Because they work for everybody. And so this was an everyday people story about this couple that got out of debt. And they just started to question when they looked and saw that they they didn't have money and how much they made, they kind of got convicted. And they were just starting out as Christians, I think, and they were under some uh, teaching uh, for, uh, you know, finances, so forth and so on, how to be diligent with your finances. And they decided, they started examining what they were spending. And they made a decision. The the husband saw where he would stop in the morning to pick up coffee and maybe a bagel or something like that. And they stopped all of that and they would buy uh, food and start packaging their own lunches. And he just stopped going for the coffee. He got coffee when he got to the office. It wasn't like he couldn't get it. And uh, he, he said he was amazed at how much money. He said it was something like $100 a month immediately they saw saved up. See, people think that's a normal expense because you work. But I can remember my father working and he spent nothing all he he got a bus pass to get on the bus and go to work and come back and that was it that was all of his expenses because my mother made his lunch he took his lunch and that was the expense you know what's what's a sandwich and you know what an apple or whatever else is in there and so uh he went back to that and something came up where there was a family emergency and they needed to go out of town, so family members needed them to come help them or something like that. It was a, a family emergency that came up, and they were wondering how they were going to get out there. And he told his wife, he said, well, he said, I know I've got money from, from when we when I quit my lunches. He said, I put, put that in a separate savings account. And she was angry at him because she didn't know about it, as most wives are. You know, we don't know about the money you got. We ticked off first. Offered. and when they examined it he had been doing that for maybe like eight months less than a year and he had over $800 in that account just from the wasted you got me I'm not saying that you're wrong it just depends on what your goals are if your goal is to get out of debt your goal is to prosper you can stop doing that. You understand what I'm saying? You know, you can stay home. I know I do many days. I don't go out anywhere. I quit shopping at <laughs> the store and I stop online. I got another, another devil breathing down my throat. Praise God. Miss Ingrid. Can you turn that oven off in there? Thank you. Yeah, so so just leave whatever's in there, but turn it off, please. Yeah, so so now I got another devil to fight, the online shopping devil. But we're working on it. I always tell myself, these are just necessities. But, uh, but I know God wants us to prosper. He wants us to be good stewards of everything that we possess and, and watch and see what He might be able to do if we will obey Him in these things. So His, His, His goal also is to discipline us with obedience and not have us being out of control people. He does not want us to be out of control in anything that we do. He wants us to be people who are well controlled, uh, people who are under his authority, and people who know how to live well and live right uh, in God. And so these are goals that he has for us. And if we don't understand that this is what he's after, we'll find wind up fighting God just like the children of Israel did in the wilderness. They fought God coming and going because they could only see what it is they wanted and what they wanted in the immediate, not anything long range. they you know and most of our trouble comes because we don't know how to trust God with the long range thing and and just think about the immediate all the time. I think if you want to be encouraged in God ask him to encourage you. Uh I know with the this Amos 9:13 blessing I started paying attention more to the small things, you know, the small miracles that come about uh because uh you know God loves us and he wants to bless us. Uh how uh, you know, I'll, I'm notorious for putting my glasses somewhere. And then, of course, I'll call Rachel or somebody to help me find those. lazy, I guess. But, you know, they're a little hard to find, especially when you need them to see you know here i am you know and i kind of just got in a little panic mode and, come help me find my glasses and so i thought about it one day i said holy spirit you know where these glasses are all the time you know where it is and many times now before see i quit calling them i said i don't need y'all get out of here get my own glasses my own way you know and uh so anyway uh, many times, even before I ask him for for them, he'll cause my eyes to focus. You understand what I'm saying? So faithful, so he's so they're ready to help us, and I like it because it helps my relationship with God. It helps me to develop a, a closeness. Um, uh intimacy with God, if you will, these things that are just between the two of us that he knows about and I know about. And I'll have a little smile that comes to my face because I know he did that, you know, even though it may not be anything real big. I know he did that for me. And so I look for little small things, you know, just to be thankful for and be mindful of uh, these small miracles that that happen. Uh, Sometimes I'll be looking for something and then it'll drop out of my lap or I'll stand up in a faucet. Uh Oh, there it is. You know, I thought it was gone. All of these things. And, and, you know, for sometimes when you're getting older and you start hearing all these, oh, Alzheimer's is going, eh? Yeah, everybody thinks you got to, you know, forgetful, lose your mind, all that. It helps to know that God never loses his mind. He's not forgetful. And he lives in you and he will help you. If, you. if you make yourself aware of him, he'll show you all the ways that he will help you. So it says here in verse, he says, all these commandments which I command you this day, he said, you're going to observe them and do them. He said, not just observe and be a critic. The Bible says, hearers and doers of the word. He says, if you're not a doer, amen, you wind up being a judge. Never noticed that? You're still trying to decide if you think that's right or not. You're trying to decide if you're going to do that. Trying to decide if that pertains to you. Trying to decide if that's, you understand what I'm saying? You become a judge of God's word if you don't get up and do it. So the best thing to do is if you're reading the word, you've got to ask God, God, I'm going to commit my heart to follow this. Now, I'm not going to miss out on this. I'm, I'm not going to miss what it is that you have for me. I will be a doer as well as a hearer. I don't want to be a judge. I don't want to put myself in that category. So, God, his laws are for our good. His laws cause us to increase, to prosper, to multiply. It's all good. His laws also are righteousness and truth and there's no law against righteousness and there's no law against truth. So you won't be penalized from obeying God. God cannot penalize man when he obeys God's law so he gives us this law to help us obey him so he can bless us. It's all for our good. Our obedience to worship and seek him pay Big dividends. I think about it. Worshiping God—that really means to put Him first in everything. Whoever is first in your life, that's who you worship. So, worship has to do with the act of worshiping, addressing God. Uh, uh, speaking words, a blessing toward him, adoration, trust, love, whatever it is that comes out through your worship, but also seeking him first in all things, honoring him. Your tithe really is to honor God for what he's already placed in your hands. It's not paying him off or trying to convince him to bless you or to pour out. He's already given you something. He's already given you a job and a paycheck. So your tithe really is to honor him for what's given. It's not even for the future. It's to bless what he's done for you already. You honor him with the first fruits you think about him first I always say I've never heard anybody say I'm glad when I get paid so I can tithe but we should be you got me we should be we never say that we're glad to get paid so we can spend something but we're never glad so that we can honor God with our first fruits the way we're supposed to and and I think if we live in in a, a state of constant thanksgiving and appreciation toward God, we'll be excited when payday comes around so we can write that first check and honor God. I mean, we really, really will. You can change these things about yourself. You can change how you feel about these things. Uh, Don't say it's normal to to not want to honor God with your first fruits. It's normal to want to honor Him with your first fruits if you're a Christian. Job 36.11 says that if we obey and serve the Lord, we will spend our days in prosperity and our years in pleasures. Our days in prosperity and our years in pleasures. God does this to keep a promise he made to man long ago. So this is a long-standing covenant promise that God's keeping. He just didn't start promising this when you showed up saved. But he's promised this to our forefathers. He says that in chapter, in verse 1. Verse 2, and you shall remember all the way. And this is where your testimony comes in. Remember when you first heard about the Lord. Remember where he found you. Remember you were broke, busted, disgusted. Threatened to quit serving God every other week because you weren't getting what you wanted out of the deal. Remember that? And he still kept pursuing you he still kept showing you he loved you still kept proving to you it was worth it to continue he's done all of that for all of us so he says in the, the bible says and remember all that see which the lord your god led you of these 40 years in the wilderness you know how many of us can remember back 40 years being saved some of us are almost there but from he says from day one up until now remember all that god has done for you in this period of time he did this to humble you and to prove you to know what was in your heart God doesn't know what's in your heart until you get your test on it when you get tested on it that's when he knows and that's when you know so when he led them 40 40 years in the wilderness it was really to test them to humble them what he what he says what he means when he says to humble you is not to make a beggar out of you, and not to make out of you somebody who grovels. Humble means you just look to God for everything. That's not hard to do. If you can look to God and not to yourself, that's humility. Humility means standing there, waiting for God to instruct you on the right way to go. Humility is not leaning to your own understanding, but acknowledging him so that he can instruct you, direct you, open the door he wants you to go through, close the door he doesn't want you to go through. Some doors are are not opened uh, until a certain thing happens in your life. And so we have to recognize this and allow God uh, the sovereign right to determine our future. So, he, he does this to keep a promise he made to man long ago. We must be tested. This is a must. We must be humbled. God must see what's in our heart by observing what we do in all circumstances. Not just good circumstances, but lean circumstances as well. You ever notice that sometimes things can be going really, really well for you, and then all of a sudden, some bad news comes. It tightens up a little bit. Well, Job said when, when his wife told him to curse God and die, he told her, he said, you talk like a witch. He said, should I not receive good and bad from the hand of God? And that doesn't mean God's up there making up stuff to make your life miserable. But it just means that you're going to have trouble in this world because there's trouble in the world. Now, as a Christian, you can try to avoid all you can. You can go buying this, buying that, ward off this, ward off that. But you're still going to have your fair share of trouble. Why? So you can be tested. See what's in you. See what you're going to do when things are lean. See if you're going to steal. Are you going to curse God and die? Or are you going to bless God and live? You know, that's it's, it's about that. And so if you decide you're going to bless the Lord at all times, you won't have trouble making it through any tight situation but if you're doubtful as to what you're going to do if it's if it's open as to how you're going to respond you're going to respond one way or the other the pressure will get twice as bad and God will let that pressure mount up until you decide to turn to him and trust him through these difficult times so God wants us to see what we'll do and he wants to see what we'll do in all circumstances not just good ones but all In verse 3, and he humbled you. Uh, He said, I humbled you and I proved you. I caused you to hunger. Anybody had lean finances where food was tight? We've all had them. The nice thing about belonging to a church where you get fed a lot, it's hard to stay tight in the (laughs) So God's going to, listen, you're going to get tested someplace else. And if food shows up on a regular, you're going to get it someplace else. But he said, I allowed you to hunger, but I fed you anyway. But I fed you with the food of my choice, not with what you wanted. Amen. He said, I fed you with manna, which you didn't know anything about. See, God will cause you to get unique resources under unique circumstances. So that he can show you the range of his provision. Because you don't have to know where your stuff is coming from all the time to get blessed. You don't have to know who it's coming from. You don't have to know what's coming. You just have to know and, and be assured that God will provide for you. Period. And you should not care how the provision comes because you should look at it and say, Now God, I know you're teaching me something here. I don't want to miss the lesson. Instead of grumbling, complaining, that's what Israel did. They murmured and they complained because they didn't like the manna they'd rather have. And they even longed to go back to Egypt where they were slaves, where it was hard for them. But they liked the food, they said. You got me? Oh, they did. I don't see how they even could look at each other, breathe the same air. They ate leeks and garlic all the time. And if that ain't hard on a marriage, I don't know. <laughs> I'm one of those people that, that you know, if the minute I eat garlic, it's like everywhere on me. You know, it's almost, well, it, number one, it's an oil. So it's oil soluble. So it gets in your bloodstream real easy. It goes through all, all everything. And my husband used to say, oh, please, No. No spaghetti, no garlic bread. I said, please, 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 please just give me a peach. You know, but he knew it was going to be tough. So he flipped me around in bed. He said, nope, you go that way. He said, oh, look at me. Don't turn my way with that stuff. It was rough. But, you know, that's what they preferred instead of manna from heaven. This was angel food. It just came down fresh every morning. mm." The Bible said it tasted like coriander, uh, which is um, uh, cilantro. Coriander is the seed of cilantro plant. And if you've eaten salsa or any, it's that that herb that gives it that real fresh flavor. It's a very unique flavor, which I think is kind of, you know, when you think about a little tongue-in-cheek on God's part, You know, because it does make your breath fresh. It's kind of like parsley. Most herbs that aren't real aromatic will give that freshness to your breath. And so I think that was better than waking up to bad breath garlic and leek wife every morning she smelled like minty fresh (laughs) but anyway but you know god he'll get his point across you know he said i know y'all breath was smelling bad when you was in egypt but see i can give you something may make your breath smell good so uh, so anyway he says uh uh, so he said i did this to humble you see what's in your heart see when you come from uh, a life of of in sin And that's all you've done for all your life? You've got to be tested as to what's real. Is that sin and iniquity still driving your life? Or is God rooting that out? Are you allowing him to root that out? So he humbles us to root that stuff out of us. Sometimes people will do anything when they're hungry. They'll do anything when they're in lack and poverty. And God does not want his children to be like that. He wants us to come to him whether in lack or... Or in plenty, come to God. Whether if you need food or you need clothing, come to God. Always come to God when you need those things. He said, I fed you with manna, which you didn't know, neither did your fathers know, that he might make uh, make you know that man does not live by bread alone. So your life is about more than what you eat, drink, and wear. Sound familiar? We're in Deuteronomy the second law, so that Jesus taught that. He said, isn't your life more than food and and clothing? Isn't there more to you than that? He said, those things the heathen seek after. So how saved are you? If you're still worrying about food and clothing, you're just about level with the heathen. He wants you to live above that. He wants you to be certain about his provision. That's why he took everything away from them their abilities to store overnight their abilities to save up more to to have uh you know crops that came in and you could store it up and get comfortable in your provision he took all of that away from them so they had to live day by day daily bread and understand that you live by more than bread alone because I'm telling you if you don't have anything in your cupboard you're either going to be sweating every day or you're going to get confident every day God provides. Yesterday, He said if I get up tomorrow it will be there. I'm going to try that and see how long that lasts and allow that to go on in my life. Now obviously a lot of people weren't convinced because that went on for 40 years. Got me? He started bringing them into the promised land, and they ate parched corn. But, uh, you know, they had to. there was a day when the manna did cease, and so it was the day that that testing was over. But so many of them died out there in the wilderness because they couldn't trust God. They complained. They wanted to go back where they came from. When they got sick of manna, he gave them quail uh, until it ran out of their noses. They had so much they were just greedy for certain things because they didn't let That old Egyptian nature die out there in the wilderness where God intended for it to die. So he says he did that manner that their fathers did not know. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread only. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord does man live. So you live by God's promises and confidence in him. He took took food off the table as an issue so that we could focus on him as the provider as long as you have an opportunity to go out and make money trust me people will do it i remember the days when they had what they call the sunday blue laws where Businesses had to close on Sundays. You didn't have these stores open on Sundays. Like tw- now, it's twenty-four-seven. Why? To keep you so busy with work and getting more and having to have more and all this kind of stuff that you forget God. You don't have time to go to, to church. You can't get off on Sundays. You can't do this. You can't do that. Huh? It's true. It's true. The devil loves nothing better than to keep us so consumed with with gathering provision. And so nervous about whether or not we'll be able to have enough provision that he can keep us from worshiping God. Why? Because he knows if you start trusting God, he's history. And we get tested all the time as to whether we'll, you know, because it's so easy to get your focus back on things. The minute you get a promotion, you get all excited. Look what I got. Look what I got. Let's go celebrate. Let's do this. And you totally forget God. Amen. You totally forget God. I I know I can remember somebody giving, getting a testimony. They, they did this for a season. Uh, they were, really were desperate for a, a promotion. You know, in their finances, they needed money. And uh, I think I had shared somebody's testimony that when they, they had wanted a promotion and they began to tithe on the amount of the promotion that they desired. You know, when they, you know, you know that's part of faith. You know, acting like you got it before you got it. You'll get it. We all know that. After they got the promotion, they went back to not tithing. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, it's, it's something once you take your head and bang it against a concrete wall. You know, it's like, how did you do this? You see what I'm saying? It, it's, it's, it's this warped understanding of the goodness of God. Now, that person must not think God is good because they fall back into those old patterns. I said, that's why you couldn't get the promotion to begin with. Because you weren't being faithful and honoring God with the money you did have. So you decide you're going to honor God and then fall back in the same old habits again. Needless to say, they didn't keep that. You understand what I'm saying? They were unemployed soon enough. But it's things like that where we get tested. Whenever you're in a test, it's because it's time for an exam. God's not picking on you by testing you. He wants you to see. See, sometimes we're praying for things and we want to know what the problem is. So he'll show you, that's for sure. But he tests us to see if we will obey him or not. So manna limited the food supply to a daily portion. To demonstrate the teachings of Jesus in that we're not to be concerned about tomorrow. He said tomorrow has enough trouble on its own. He says today has enough. Don't borrow trouble from tomorrow. Be concerned only about what's going on today. And let the Father provide for you today while it's day. Don't try to figure out tomorrow yet. That's a sign of iniquity. You know, people who live in fear are always trying to get, we're trying to get set for life. When God saves us, we really are set for life. But it's only going to come a day at a time. So you can forget on any of this other stuff. God wants us to know that a daily supply of food is all we have to be concerned about. Not storing up helps us to trust him daily and not to forget him. See, if you have to go to God every day for what you need, you'll remember, you remember to worship, you'll remember to praise, you'll remember everything. You, you won't say, I forgot to read my word today. No, because you didn't have nothing in the cupboard and you knew you had to talk to God in order to get it. Amen? To forget God is to cut ourselves off from our supply, our source and our supply. If we trust God, he always provides everything. Verse 4, your clothing did not get old, neither did your feet swell these 40 years. That's pretty cool. You shall also consider in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so God chastens you. So he wants us to remember that he said, consider this one in your heart. You discipline your children, God disciplines you. Why do you discipline your children? So they can prosper. So they won't go through life as thieves and robbers and throw their lives away. But they'll have a good life. Amen. They'll, they'll be able to possess everything that God wants them possess, to possess because they'll have a good life. He says, uh, he, he says, therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord. That's verse 6. And walk in His ways and fear Him. So he says, "If you think in your heart, that I'm just disciplining you so you can have a good life, then that's what this is about. This isn't punishment. This isn't that you don't you've made a mistake or you've done something wrong that can't be fixed. Everything that we do wrong is fixed already by the blood of Jesus. There's prepayment on your mistakes. There's prepayment on your sins. There's prepayment on everything that you do wrong, your bad attitude, your impatience, all of that. It's prepaid already. The re, the answer and solution for that is prepaid. So you can step into the solution immediately. When it's something that you, you need to have fixed in you, you can step into the solution. It's prepaid. And he says, Keep your law his laws, walk in his way. For the Lord your God brings you into a good land. There's nothing wrong with your life. It's a good life. It may not be have all the ins and outs you think it should have, but it's a good life. Look at the average sinner it's a good life, comparatively and not compared. Look at where where you were a year ago. It's a good life, amen. It's a good life. I can say that we've we've had difficulties, struggles, troubles. We always get trouble with this ministry. It's like somebody's always targeting. You know, before it was, you know, other ministers talk bad about us. You know, flesh and blood type stuff. Now it's, it's these money demons want to keep you uh, hemmed in and, and not being able to get a good building, not being able to afford this and that. It's always something. Amen. Uh, you know, if, if there are people that have large churches, it's because people like us prayed that for, for God to be able to open up money For them to be able to do these things. You understand what I'm saying? So now we're praying for the power to come into the churches. And boy it's going to be a tooth and nail for that. Because the devil hates the power of God. He hates when people get healed. He hates people to be delivered. He hates people to be saved. And so that's what the whole thing is now. It's, it's praying to get an increase in power so we can get the work of the Lord done and the work of the ministry done. Because there's not much work being done. People are coming into buildings and watching television. But there's not much power and much growth in these people. You know, as many people out there watching TV and say they love God and they're Christians, the, the world should be won by now. But it's not going to be won by a weak, weak church. It's going to be won by a pure and a holy church that's full of his power. So, he says we need to keep his commandments. Why? Verse 7, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, not desert anymore fountains depths that spring out of valleys and hills I mean a lush land that's vibrant that's green of valleys and hills they were so used to the deserts of Egypt they couldn't imagine A land that flourished like that. In Egypt, they they had uh, one of the things that made their work so hard is the irrigation systems that they had to set up to to get fertile areas in a land that was so filled with desert. Uh, So they had... uh, Ducts, viaducts that would take water from uh, from the Nile River to the different sources, and if you were uh, gardening or something like that, or you had to tend crops, you had to use a foot pump to keep that water flowing on. And it was hard labor. It was it was heavy work. I mean, they made that place a lush place with the ingenuity that God gave them, but there was heavy labor, so the Israelite really didn't look forward to. You know, his own land, so to speak, because he, he always equated that with heavy labor. But God said, uh-uh, I'm going to have streams that flow right into your property. That water will be right there and make it easy for you to keep your crops water. Every time God does something for us, he brings it to us with ease. That's what grace is. It's the ability, the unmerited favor of God that makes the yoke easy and the burden light. So he's not going to work you harder than the devil. And he's not going to pay you less than the devil paid you. He's going to bless you more, pay you more, make it easier for you, and you will keep and possess all of your land. He says the land of wheat and barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, They had nothing like that in Egypt. A land of oil, olive, and honey. A land wherein you shall eat bread without scarceness. That's no lack. No lack in anything. Amen. And what he's telling them is all the kingdom resources that you need will be at your disposal. Everything that you possess will be of superior quality. Now, you might need to do some maintenance on it, but that's normal. Amen? It's a land of rolling hills. It's green. It's verdant. It produces abundant, superior quality produce. And that blessing is still on uh, the nation of Israel. They've had some miracle, um, technological miracles over there. They had um, there was a certain uh, I think it was some type of uh, an orange or something that refused to grow because of the conditions over there and they set about finding a way to produce it anyway. Within a year, they had all of the, the uh, orange groves converted to that type that would grow in those circumstances anyhow. They have everything they need over there in that area. The only thing they need is peace so they can enjoy what they have. Amen. and And that's coming. Amen. Amen. So there is abundance everywhere because it is God-given. Whenever God is. And believe Him for abundance. Quit believing Him for just barely enough. Believe Him for abundance. Believe Him for great things. Because that's His word. Forget about you deserving it. That's His word. That's His promise. He promised that. And that should settle any argument or any discussion that you might want to have about it. He says, You shall eat bread without scarceness, you lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you may dig brass. He says when you are eaten and you're full. Now here we go. This is the danger time. When you've received all of the permanent possessions. You know what God did say in one scripture. He says remember the Lord your God. He said because he's the one who gives you the power to get wealth. Because you'll think it's your hand that got it for you. And so man has a tendency when he prospers. When he is blessed to take the credit for it. And God says always remember the Lord your God. That's why it's. Customary for Christians to pause before you dig in. I don't care if it's a Big Mac on the road or whatever it is. Pause and bless God for providing that food for you. One of the reasons is because the Bible says it is sanctified or made holy. Disease impurities, everything taken out of it by the word of prayer if it's taken with thanksgiving. Don't ever resent your daily bread. I hear so many ministers testimony. I told God I was tired of eating hamburger. That's why you ate it for so long. You hearing me? And they think God heard that and then eventually blessed them. I think he blessed them in spite of it. He did that to Israel. And you know the Lord told me, he said, I never told them to eat hamburger. They could have had steak anytime they wanted. All they had to do was quit complaining and ask me for it. See, they're looking at their pocketbook as the source of wealth. Your paycheck is not your source. God's your source. You look at the real source and start tapping into the source, you have anything you want to eat. You know, we're 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 sad people. You know, we're sad people sometimes. We get so accustomed to resentment. It can be your constant companion if you want it to be. But God wants us to focus on him. That's what this is all about. Get your, your eyes trained on him, on the kingdom, the supernatural. Let your focus be there. And he'll bring all, he'll make your natural pleasant. He'll make your natural abundant. He'll make your natural Be able to support you in all of the dreams and all of the visions that you can ever dream will be yours if you'll focus on him. Then that doesn't mean you can't enjoy your life. People think if you're sold out to God, that means you don't have any fun. You just have different fun. See, when your fun is over because the devil's cut it off, I'll still be having fun. (laughs) My fun ain't here no way. I remember Ernest Angeli, you know the uh, minister. He's in Akron, Ohio, still alive. Uh, uh, he has a supernatural ministry. Always has signs, wonders in his ministry. I remember so many people going to his ministry. He would have Friday night deliverance services, you know, and uh, healing services. I remember so many people coming over, coming out of those meetings delivered from smoking cigarettes. I mean, he was known for that. He was also, uh, uh, you know, people were having problems, you know. And I look at this and I think about all the people. We need marital counseling. He would get a couple up there and he said, "Uh, you two fighting? You going to stop that? He (laughs) he gets you with that man and you were a totally different person he'd have everybody that smoked he said take them cigarettes out your pocket and I want you to take them out and step on them right now and the people never smoked again never smoked again I remember um, uh, my brother-in-law Pastor Shirley's husband uh, his younger brother passed away from bone cancer when he was very young and his uh, his mother uh, uh, his mother and her sister had taken him over to Ernest Angley. They were, you know, kind of off and on church goers. But, you know, we all get real <laughs> familiar with church when we have a need, which is rightfully so. They took him over there. And uh, when she came home, she said, well, so I don't think Terry got his healing. She said, but I don't want to smoke anymore. She, Everybody that went with them in that car, the <laughs> faith was there. To tell whether they went for it or not, they Cut that smoking out because that was a, a very powerful, powerful thing that he did. But Brother Ainsley, uh would get, every now and then the, the press would want to make fun of him. And they'd go over and, and say, you talk about heaven a lot. And he told us one reporter, he said, uh, he said, let me tell you something. He said, heaven is more real to me than you are. And he looked at him with them piercing eyes, and that man left and never finished the interview. Huh? Mm-hmm. That's what we need to get. Where God in heaven and the things, resources of heaven, the things that go on in heaven are more real to us than this ugly world that we live in. You know, it's it's our temporary home. You're not taking nothing that's down here with you. So let's get our focus on things that are above not on things that are below, down here, that native to this earth. So he says, when you're eating and you're full, the Lord will uh, it, it, then you shall bless the Lord for He for the good land which He has given you. That's verse ten. He says, and beware that you don't forget the Lord. It's a big beware because it's so common in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which i command you this day so always keep god i don't care if it's going well for you or not the the uh more trouble you have the more diligent you should be about keeping god's law don't don't just ever get tired of god and stop you know people stop going to church stop reading the bible stop everything they, they you know they're throwing a little tantrum they think it's going to move god but worship moves god Well, you know, you worship him in a hard place and he'll bring you out of that. He'll bless you. But he doesn't promise you you won't have hard places to go through. So God promises abundance of all things. He promises us plenty of provision, plenty to eat. But we must not forget him. So these are the difficult times is when you're full and when you're hungry. The extremes of life are where the test is and where the challenge is. He says this, he says, "Less verse uh, 12, less when you have eaten and are full and built goodly houses and dwelt in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply, your silver and your gold multiply and you and all that you have is multiplied, your heart will be lifted up" And you'll forget the Lord your God which brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Who led you through the great and terrible wilderness. So God then begins to rehearse to you all the good things he has done for you in your life. And it's a good thing to do when you feel like you can't go another day unless God does something major to change your circumstances. You need to rehearse in your ears all the good things that God has done for you, or you will not have a heart of gratitude. You will not have a heart that that wants to bless God, and you'll um, you kind of like fix your stiffen yourself. Against God, so that His love can't penetrate your heart and your faith won't work. That's what the enemy wants you to do to get your faith in neutral, so it doesn't work to help you with anything. You'll struggle even more if you forget God. That that adds to the struggle. So remember God through obedience to His commandments. I think there are certain things you can build into your life so you won't forget Him. Number one is the tithe. If you'll give of your first fruits, you won't forget God too easy. The other thing is always bless your food. If you stop and bless that food, trust me, you will remember God. And that's why God gave them a lot of their rigid, especially their dietary laws. There's nothing wrong with anything that there has been made to eat. But God kept Israel away from certain things. They said, oh yeah, God said don't. Don't do this. Remember God. He did these things. There was a built-in way under the law to remember God. Now we have the Holy Spirit to help us remember God. But there are certain things that you need to do in your life as points of contact so you won't lose contact with Him. These are different for different people, but I can tell you, coming to church on Sunday, be regular in your church attendance, or you'll forget God. It, once you start missing, it's easy to quit. I tell people that. I see you you start skipping around here and say, oh, I need some time off. Time off from God? Think about what you're saying. Can you ever not have God in your life to help you? Can you afford time off from God? You know, if you want to be absent, be absent. But man up and woman up about it. You know, that's your decision. You don't need time off from God. You need to be trying to keep to him as much as you can. I remember we'd go on on vacations. I think maybe that's why my husband quit letting us go so much. Before he knew it, I'd be talking to people about the Lord. You know, we'd be on the beach in the Bahamas. I'd find somebody I could talk to. You know, these little ladies walking around selling stuff. And pretty soon they wanted to come back and talk some more. You know, because that's who you are at all times. You don't get a vacation off from God. And number 15, God says, remember, I led you through the difficult wilderness where the serpents were biting at you and drought. And there was no water. I brought water out of a rock. I'm a supernatural God. I can do anything for you. He says, when you get rich, remember your lean days. When you get somewhere, remember the days when I carried you like a baby and I fed you. He said, I fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers knew nothing about. He said, you got to know some things about me the other generation didn't know. And he says, that I might humble you. And prove you to do you good at your latter end. So all the discipline, the tests, and the trials is to do us good when we come out of it. So there's a glory coming out of every trial that we're in, folks. Trust me. You remember God through it. You remember God when you get out of it. And the glory will increase and increase and increase and increase. and increase. It will never diminish what God has for us. Amen. You think it's good now? It's going to get better. It will get better and better and better. Because God says so. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. And thank you for giving us understanding, refreshing us. And trusting you what this life is all about. It's not about the goodies. It's about the good God. Amen. It's all about him. And our relationship to him. What he's doing in our lives. Conforming us to the image of his son. Blessing us in every way. We do thank you for that Father. Thanks for reminding us who we are. In Jesus name. Amen. And praise God.